Flying Bull Productions presents Laugh, Literature, and Film. It's the good stuff. Yep. The Laugh Podcast. Literature and Film Podcast. Yeah. We're your hosts. I'm the L Train. Yeah. Over there is Mr. Two Frames. Yeah, I am. (laughs) We're coming at you with two uh, movies that are streaming you can check out online. Mm -hmm. The first movie that uh, we've chosen to talk about today is called uh, Kamiko the Treasure Hunter. It's no fun traveling alone. Solitude, just fancy loneliness. Comedic Odyssey, starring Rinko Kikuchi, who starred in uh, Babel and Pacific Rim. She's a frustrated office lady whose imagination transcends the confines of her mundane life. She becomes obsessed with a mysterious battered VHS tape of a popular film she's mistaken for a documentary, fixating on a scene where a suitcase of stolen cash is buried in the desolate frozen landscape of North Dakota. Believing this treasure to be real, she leaves behind Tokyo and her beloved rabbit, Bunzo, to recover this uh, treasure, hence the treasure hunter in the title. She finds herself in a dangerous adventure unlike anything she's ever seen in the movies. This is written and directed by David Zellner and written by David and Nathan Zellner, his brother. Mm -hmm. That's a Coen Brothers connection there. (laughs) All right. (laughs) The movie uh, that she's obsessed with is the movie Fargo, mm-hmm. which we mentioned in the We Laugh. The high concept hook to this is that if you watch Fargo at the very beginning, it says this is based on a true story, and the Coen brothers were completely lying. Right. And this movie is based on an actual story of a Japanese woman who was found in Fargo dead, and it was originally suspected that she was looking for the treasure from the movie Fargo. That was later disproven. Well, yeah, but, but she the director she was influenced Fargo. by that story. She was near Fargo, at least. Yeah, someplace, uh, Detroit Lakes, Minnesota. Apparently, this happened in 2001. Yeah, and the director saw that original article and was influenced to write this story. Well, uh, well yeah, I mean, that's the starting point for it. A fictional story based on a true story surrounding a movie that purports itself to be true. Did you see the uh, documentary about that woman's life? Her name was Takako Kanishi. I have not watched the documentary yet. It's called uh, This is a True Story by Paul Burkzeller. It's actually pretty interesting. It's a, it's a, about 30 minutes long in that style of la jetée, you know, with photographs. Mm-hmm. He took a woman from a Japanese actress and took her to all the same locations they went to and interviewed the people that they talked to, mm-hmm. or that she talked to back in 2001. Um, it's casual racism and the difficulty that she had with communicating herself and having the experience, this this girl makes it very uh, affecting as a movie, as a as an experience. So it's it's a pretty good documentary. You can watch it on um, Vimeo. Okay. If you check out, this is a true story. So 
that but, might be more interesting to watch than this movie. For you? Yeah. It is actually, it might be a little bit more interesting to watch than this movie, but I give this movie, I, I still give this movie a recommendation for people who are interested in visual storytelling or the the sort of nuance of character. This movie was very affecting. This movie, this movie uh, approaches a level of sublimity not often seen in other films, especially like the blockbuster movies of the summer. I think this movie shoots for the stars. It doesn't quite get there. Um, this is definitely an art house film. That's how I would first describe it to anyone. Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't recommend it to most people. I mean, if, if I tell you this is an art house film, most people make up their mind just hearing that, whether or not they want to watch it. I think if you understand the tagline for the movie, if you say it's about a, a woman that goes to Minnesota to find the missing money that was lost in the movie Fargo. It would be a lot more interesting. I also disagree with calling it a comedy or a dark comedy. It has yeah, a, I, I it has a handful of laughs, but I could have seen them taking this movie into a, a much more darkly comedic route. That's where that's one of the problems this movie has is struggles with tone. I struggled with the tone of this movie too. The first hour or so before she even makes it to America is not there's not a whole lot funny about it. Mm-hmm. But once she meets those characters in Minnesota, <laughs> some of the writing is is among the best writing I've heard. Some of the lines, just in terms of like making me chuckle. I'm not saying like grab my sides and laugh. And I wouldn't necessarily call this a comedy in the same vein that Fargo is um, or other Coen Brothers movies. Mm-hmm. But there are some broadly drawn characters, caricatures of characters that really convey that sort of sense of, of place that's I, I assume representative of Minnesota. I think these guys are from Minnesota, the Zellner brothers. Could and be. they they have a I think they have a narrative voice in this movie and I think they portray it. Because I, I found myself really thinking about this movie after I watched it and still thinking about it, not just for the show. I I, I considered some of the things about the movie. You're just shaking your head. Yeah, you just don't like the movie. I mean, no, I, it's I, not that I don't like the movie. I, I think no, you don't like the movie. <laughs> Clearly, you don't like the movie. Uh, I, I just I disagree with a lot of the choices made in the film. I also don't think they know how to treat their main character. The, she is an interesting character. I will give you that. There's well, some interesting acting. Well, I want I want you to clarify what you mean by cho- you mean the directing choices or the filmmaking choices or the choices of the character because it's the, a different the directing criticism. choices. Okay. All right. Um, not, not. I mean, the plot. I, I understand that th- this woman has some mental illness, right? I mean, yeah. Just, I mean, if you're going to believe watching Fargo that this is a documentary, you don't have all fifty-two cards in your deck. She suffers from uh, more than just that slight mental illness. I think she has a deep depression. Yeah. So I that mean, she's trying to. She's so, trying. Uh, yeah. I, I wouldn't get on to plot. I don't think the directors know whether to feel sorry for her to laugh at her i don't always feel like they know how to portray her scene to scene i don't i don't i don't get that same feeling i don't think that they ever want you to laugh at her if any of the humor comes out it's in the secondary characters and her reacting to her world Mm -hmm. and that that's not necessarily sorry for her i I do (laughs) i definitely do and and that's a function of 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 the actress Rinko Kikuchi in this movie, and you know I love during Pacific Rim too. She has a way of communicating things with her eyes, and 
her general demeanor without saying anything at all mm-hmm. that really draw me to her and make me feel for her. And I don't generally feel for characters in movies. I don't have an emotional attachment to characters. Most would argue that it's, it's sort of a sociopathy of mine. And generally, I would say in a movie like this, I would feel more compassion for the rabbit, which I do, but yeah. I also feel a lot of compassion for her. I, I agree. She's great. Um, that surprises me. At acting me. with her eyes and being quiet, but I would rather watch her do that in The Brothers Bloom. And I felt she, a lot more I, for her character in that movie than this. I can't remember much of her in The Brothers Bloom. The other part is there is some backstory that we don't get, and I understand that the directors are trying to be ambiguous. But there are some key moments in this film where I, I needed to understand this character and what's driving her and what's motivating her. And I feel like they're just crucial scenes that are missing throughout this movie. I, I, I kind of know what you're alluding to. I'm trying not to spoil anything. Yeah, and you know, I appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that those are active choices and not, I, I don't think that they are necessarily uh, oversights. See, I feel like they couldn't make, I don't think they could write those scenes and make them work. It's so very... it's easier to omit. And, and that's always, that's the fine line you have to play with. Are you being ambiguous or do you just not know how to write the critical scene? I think that it's a sense of ambiguity. I mean, I I got the ambiguity and it's the question in the movie. Some of these things are questions that drive me forward as a viewer, but they also make me have the empathy for the character. Because what I see is her, I kind of feel that Kamiko is inventing meaning for herself. And that's something that you have to do as an audience member. You have to create meaning out of uh, your world, like, or out of the story anyway. So in a way, I kind of felt like I was going on this journey with her. <laughs> no. um, I, I, it made it worthwhile to me. But again, I wouldn't, there are very few people I would say go watch this movie this is also, because I just don't know these kinds of people. This is slow for a slow movie. This is slow. I think that this explains to me why you have been reluctant to watch Slow West. No, no. <laughs> I don't mind a slow movie if there's stuff in there and there are payoffs. There are slow movies that have two hours worth of plot in them. This movie has 20 minutes of plot in it. Well, and it and while it has some interesting character stuff, I still feel like these characters are undeveloped, underdeveloped. I, I would only argue with you on the point that it, that plot doesn't necessarily matter in this movie. And there are a lot of movies where plot doesn't matter. Yeah, I, I you felt don't like have the... to have a plot. Like, plot doesn't matter in Pulp Fiction. The plot of Pulp the Fiction. The characters are doing, there is some force driving you on. This movie, I felt like they were padding oh, out force. scenes. There's a force that drives you yeah. on. Uh, that, um, the cinematography, I wasn't huge on. I, actually, I really enjoyed the cinematography. I think the cinematography, they had great locations, and I think snow helps. Snow is just beautiful to photograph and to film, mm-hmm. but the cinematography rarely did anything to bracket the action of the shots. They okay. had a lot of just shots of nature. It wasn't characters doing something within those shots that was terribly interesting. Is what I, I felt. I, and I, I saw the complete opposite. And then there is a shot late in the film where a character, where Kamiko holds up her map. She makes a map so she knows where the treasure is. And they try to do a shot match with 
when she pulls down the map for this big reveal and nothing lines up. It just didn't work. I'm like, oh. I, I think that that's the fact that nothing lines up is an, is an important no, element of no, the film. No, no. That, I, that's I where you have to show your skill and, and being a cinematographer. That's supposed to be your money shot. And I feel like they blew it. I think that it's all there's. It conveys meaning. That that particular shot that you're talking about conveys meaning. The 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 color pattern, the color the color palette is important. The choices they make in terms of presenting Kamiko in this stark wilderness and having that cut of red that she wears, that red hood, which is a design, uh, is important. In terms of showing the, 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 the emptiness and solitude of her, of her as a character. And there's a contrast that they present in the first half of the movie to the second half of the movie in going from Tokyo, where she's very confined. She's caged in a sense. She's in this very close, these close confines and, um, you know, this very, I guess, vertical, uh, as Tokyo is or any big city would be. And then there's a movement away from that of the vast horizontal wilderness that she finds herself on. She's walking on this uh, highway attempting to reach her treasure. And I thought the cinematography captured that. The cinematographer in this is a guy named Sean Porter. Has he done anything else? Or no? He did uh, He did Green Room, which hasn't come out yet, but he's a cinematographer in Green Room. So nothing to that you've me, seen. this felt like a very young cinematographer who had a lot of film school influence still, and not a whole lot of practical work. Well, he did Squid Man. Okay. Uh, <laughs> do I think the cinematographer can go on and do some great stuff? Sure. But it, uh, it just it, it felt like a very youthful, a very um, inexperienced hand at this. I disagree. I think it's a. It might be an experience, but I think it's still very artistic. Everything is deliberately shot. I didn't see anything anything added to it that was superfluous, and there was a lot going. A lot of what you were thinking of in terms of her journey and the danger that she's in in the second half of the movie when she finally gets to the new world and she gets to Minnesota, and and I think that the contrasting visual styles of the first part of the movie to the second part of the movie really played well for me. I think the way that he shoots the the secondary characters that she meets each of them have has a little bit different each of the each of those sequences are staged a little bit differently and they convey a different meaning and a different level of um nuance and uh and menace depending on where you're going or tenderness depending on the character that you have i, I think that the, all of the cinematography of those interactions in the second half of the movie are deliberate choices and they all work for me okay so uh, yeah but, yeah uh, maybe it's a style i i don't know i i it, it doesn't have to it, work. For it, it 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 felt like you know they have those paint by numbers so you can recreate a masterpiece. Mm -hmm. That's what the cinematography felt like to me. All paint right. by numbers. All right, fair enough. I so. think you're wrong. All right, fair enough. I think that uh, it would be instructive maybe to continue this in some a little spoiler section. Sure. So let's do a little spoiler for Kamiko before we go on to the next movie. All right. The man that hath no music in himself, nor is not moved with concord of sweet sounds, is fit for treasons, stratagems, and spoils. I don't want to spoil the party, so I'll go. All right, so the money shot you're talking about is after she's died. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So Kamika dies at the end. She yeah, freezes she died, dies. Yeah, and, yeah, in the night. She doesn't 
wake up out of the snow. Yeah. Right. And I read that as, you know, that's her last gasp. That's as she's dying. The last synapses of her brain are firing out this fantasy. That's fine. That's that's a a way of reading it. There are multiple ways to read that ending. Um, Maybe the last synapses, or maybe she's also been able to find her meaning, which is the treasure that she was looking for all along. Death? Mm, probably yeah she is she's on a suicide mission i don't think that she's gonna that she's under any illusions about where this is gonna end up really yeah i don't really think that she i think that she's convinced herself that this this um treasure exists only in as much as it's a it gives her life meaning it gives her something to go for in her in her meaningless life but i don't i don't think that she ever expects that she's going to get a million dollars I think uh, okay. she's grasping for meaning that she'll never get. See, so, yeah, I think this is a key then understanding to the film and how you read her uh, medical malady. You see her as being more depressed. I think she's schizo. I mean, I think she is, you know, really mentally ill and unstable. Sometimes I think that I don't think she's so. Dep- I mean, she is depressed with her life. She's sad, but I would say she's schizophrenic first and foremost. I would say that she's she has some levels of schizophrenia associated with her deep depression, but I think it's her depression that motivates her activities more than anything so else. So I think this that's then a key to our understandings of the film. If you read her as being a depressed figure, I read her as being a schizophrenic figure. It's going to uh, change yeah. how we feel about it. It'll her. change the tone as well. Uh, she has a pathetic life. She's very constricted and and sad and she doesn't fit in she's an isolated figure in a world uh, especially tokyo where the expectations are that you do x y and z and you you have to fit into this you're you're a round peg and you have to fit into this round hole and if you don't do these things then your life is going to be miserable and that's exactly what happens to yeah i just and that's where I never believed that she could get in this situation because I never saw how she would have gotten hired for the job, how she would have been able to move out of her parents' house. Depression's a low, it's a long, slow burn. Well, and that's where I saw it more as she's being schizophrenic. I I never saw, how did she go into this tailspin? The movie never explains that. And the true, the woman who died in real life, she was having an affair with a man and it ended very badly. And then she went, to right. go commit suicide where, and they had visited this place before. She went back to the hotels where they had had their affair and then killed herself. Right. So there are reasons for the depression. This movie never tells us why there's a depression or this tailspin. Yeah, I don't think you need it. I think that that would be over, that would be over explaining her no, story. I, I need a little bit of explanation. I need to see how she went into this All spiral. Right. I like that ambiguity. It, okay. But I'll tell you why, and it, and it has to do with the shot that you alluded to in the beginning of our discussion. You, Where does she get the original videotape? Oh, on the beach? Yeah. Like, how she that comes from a, a map. She finds it hidden in a cave somewhere. Now, how did you read that? Originally, well, I mean, as you watch the film, I thought, well, this is weird. After seeing the end of the film, I think she imagined finding the tape like that. I think she went to the store and bought it because when her VHS film breaks, she goes to the store and buys a DVD of this film. Right. So on some level, she has to rationalize, oh, it's in the drama section of, you know, the movies. Oh, yeah. No, there's steps all along the way where she could have 
it, it, she could have illuminated herself yeah. as to the true meaning of the story, but she chooses. Which is where other the whole things. thing falls apart, and this isn't what actually happened in real life. The woman didn't actually. Matter. Think. It's a different story. But it's not They're a plausible a story. story. And I realize, you know, the high concept, and we've already talked all about that. It just it doesn't work. I say it does work as a study of her character because I don't need to know necessarily. It's not like a billiard ball or on a billiard table where you have to see how all the different balls hit each other. Mm -hmm. It's more like an explosion of ideas. And I don't need to have everything explained for me. I'm not saying that you necessarily do, but, but I have this to... movie doesn't is not trying to operate in that way. That's fine. But even if you don't want to explain things, I have to have the feeling that there is an explanation. I think there is. Okay. But for example, Mad Max Fury Road, there's a lot of stuff that they don't explain in that film, but you do get the sense that there is a backstory. These choices have been deliberately made. You know, Furiosa's arm, right? Mm -hmm. They don't explain the backstory on that. It's just there and we accept it. But it did feel like there was a backstory. All that stuff was figured out. This movie, not so much. Oh, all right. I think you're completely wrong. I okay. clearly think that it has to do with the, her absent father, her harridan mother, um, the fact that she is 29 years old and rapidly approaching uh, an age where she can't function as an office girl and she's not romantically involved with anybody. Um, the need to conform that she can't. I mean, she tries. I think she makes a, a limited attempt at it. There's a key scene early on where a security guard says, why are you trying to take this book out of the um, library? This book can't leave the library. Why don't you just use the Internet? And she has access to the Internet. She has a cell phone. She has access. It might not be a smartphone, but it'll work. There's definitely computers there. And when you first go into the um, library, there's computers everywhere. Mm -hmm. she, at any point, she could have figured out whether or not this was a real thing. She could have looked into it. It's out there. She chooses not to. In, the, in essence, she chooses her own depression. She chooses to, for that to happen. And then it's in the second half of the movie where she starts to meet these characters that um, it becomes it, it becomes more, it becomes funny to me. These secondary characters made me laugh. Just with some of the writing in it is pretty funny. And I saved it for spoilers because I don't like to mm -hmm. even spoil lines. But that old lady that she meets... She says uh, things like, oh, God, I like crafts, too. <laughs> she shows her her map. Oh, that's nice. I like crafts, too. Only I do doilies. <laughs> and it's it. she says stuff like, uh, she hands her the book Shogun. Mm -hmm. She goes, oh, yeah, I know. And, and uh, she says, you can, you can take anything you want. She, oh, I know. The girl says, I want to go to Fargo. Show me Fargo. She goes, you don't want to go there. It's too cold. We'll go to the Mall of America tomorrow. <laughs> Have anything you want. Just don't take the sticky buns. And then she like escapes out of the window She's eating a with a sticky bun. I think, I think that those, those things are really funny. And it, it was hard for me in terms of tone to laugh. Like I didn't hold, you know, my sides. And, oh, mm -hmm. oh, this is hilarious. This is just like the Coen brothers. <laughs> but there was enough nuance to those characters where I kind of chuckled. And then there's a little bit of hope in that. There's a little bit of hope there in this very uh, depressing existential journey that she's on. There's a there's just a glimmer of hope with these secondary characters that she's gonna make you know, possibly find something that that will give her meaning, her life meaning. 
even if it's not the thing that she's looking for. And she's obviously she's not able to find it. So the secondary characters, yeah, there's some decent lines. There are a couple (sighs) chuckles. I, I thought the best part was the security guard that catches her and the camera stops when she exits the frame and you think maybe she got away with the book and there's a good hard beat before she gets dragged back by the security guard. Yeah, interesting cinematography there. Yeah. Interesting choice. I think the whole movie... That that was probably the best shot in the film for me. Most interesting. The policeman that helps her? And that's the director. Yeah. It just... it, It didn't work. It wasn't enough. His brother is the uh, is the the tourist information guy. The director's brother plays the ter- Bob or whatever. Yeah, that scene was. I mean, this is why I like because there's multiple ways to read it because you can see all those guys as funny, but they're also pretty horrifying. And if you if you do read it as sort of like a little Red Riding Hood allegory, what which I think you kind of have to in a way. I do. Where does how else do you explain some of the events? Like the the dog that comes out of nowhere and steals the tape and then runs off. That's ridiculous. So you have to be willing. And just the idea that she says, "I'm a conquistador, uh, on my way to find a treasure in the new world." And then when she arrives in Minnesota, across the screen it says, "The new world." I mean, the the movie begs for you to read it as something other than a realistic portrayal of some woman flight on a flight of fancy to Minnesota. All of that would be fine if it was an interesting movie. And right. I think at some point you have to tell an interesting story I for a movie I, to work. I thought it was interesting. I thought it was great. All right. So this that, might be, I don't know, can this can this be in my top 10 list of 2015? Because it's a 2014 movie. I don't think it played around here until 2015. So if you want, that's fine. So that's, I, I mean, we're know. just running long be. on this and we still got Man from Reno. Fair enough. I think that this movie deserves to be seen, and I, I like the fact that you, it it makes you consider it or reconsider it. I mean, it, it compels you to reconsider it. It's a lot of stuff there. Right. I, it didn't work. All right, didn't didn't work for me. There are many other art house films I'd recommend ahead of if this one. If you want to see it, based on my recommendation, uh, you can see it on Hulu. It's also streaming on uh, Amazon. Mm-hmm. And you can get it off of uh, iTunes. Uh, those are the those are the main places where I think where you can find it. But you can also look for it on uh, other forms on the internets because it came out in 2014. Um, the next movie is similarly a streamed movie mm-hmm. or a movie that you can find on the internet. I think you like this one a little bit better. I don't know. No, yeah, I, I like Man from Reno more. Um, Man from Reno is the tale of a uh, another Japanese American or a, a Japanese woman who comes to America and engages in a quest of her own. Hey Sheriff, do you copy? Yes, I copy. He didn't have any ID on him. What do you do if you find him? Find out what happened to him. In her native Japan, Akiyaka Hori is popular writer and bona fide legend. Is that your guy, Sheriff? Corner got prints off the body. What's his name? Akira Suzuki. Suzuki Yakira. 
I'm investigating a homicide. It's about your friend Akira Suzuki. He was just here. He left the suitcase behind. All the clues were in that. But that still doesn't answer my biggest question. What did he want from you? I don't know. Some people call this a neo-noir, and I, I don't really like that term. Good. Because, not not just in terms of how it applies to this movie, I just don't like it as a general term. Oh, that's not good. Neo-noir is a thing. I don't, I don't really think it's a thing. Okay. There's a lot of, like, I, I do think there are some movies that could fall into that category, but it's a very small list of movies. I didn't see this as a noir film. Yeah, I don't either. I see it as a mystery, uh, sort of a criminal take, but, but it really plays more with a detective. So it's sort of a detective story. Uh, in this case, two detectives. This, this makes me happy. I, I feel like we are going to be much more agreeable on this film, because I was very afraid you were going to say this is film noir. And we were going no. to have a big disagreement. No, about I don't. That. No, I don't like that. I don't like some of the. I again, I just don't like that appellation okay. applied to like some people say Batman Begins is in the NOR, <laughs> and th- I have the same sort of problems with that. No, this is just a a mystery movie. There's okay. nothing really noir about it. Agreed. Uh, it's about a Japanese crime novelist Aki, played by Yoko Fujitani, and uh, she's on. She's in a mystery artist or a mystery novelist who leaves uh, the prince, the press junket for reasons uh, that become clear later on in the movie. And she winds up in um, San Francisco uh, outside of a fictional small town uh, where the sheriff of the said town played by Pepe Cerna. His name is Paul Del Moral, Paul Demaral. Uh, runs into someone who turns out to be, well, they think his name is uh, Akira the Smuggler. <laughs> and there's a whole lot of like strange connections between these two people uh, and between these events. And eventually the two, uh, Aki and uh, Paul, wind up um, sort of following the same case down this uh, endless labyrinth of... MacGuffins and mistaken identities. And, yeah, they're they're drawn together because they've both been given the same name. They're chasing after their guy, right? But but they can't find him because the guys use this name. That's uh, what draws them together. Akiri is his name in the movie. She meets this guy in the in the Majestic Hotel where she's staying. Now they actually filmed this in the Majestic Hotel, which is a famous hotel in San Francisco. It's actually haunted. Some people say it's haunted. So uh, it has a real feel about it. This movie won an Independent Spirit Award for, um, or it was at least it was nominated, nominated I believe, for uh, being having an operating budget of less than five hundred thousand dollars. I was very surprised with that. So they, because they get the, a lot out of it. I thought the cinematography was pretty good, and they do a lot of different locations. In shooting on different locations, that's where you really run up the costs. And this seemed to be filmed, you know, on location, you know, in and around San Francisco. That had to be expensive. So it's directed by Dave Boyle um, and written by Dave Boyle with some of his writing partners, Joel Clark and Michael Lerman. 
Um, they've both mostly done like uh, relationship movies of Japanese Americans, sort of, uh, and having that sort of dual linguistic uh, confusion that plays a part in this movie. I think I don't know if you've ever seen any of them. White on Rice. I haven't seen any of these. Big Dreams, Little Tokyo. It's about a guy that wants to be a sumo wrestler, but he has high blood pressure, so he can't get fat. <laughs> it's actually kind of funny. <laughs> you've seen this? Uh, no, the premise is funny. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, Dave Boyle was a Mormon missionary to Japan. That's how he learned Japanese. So that identity confusion and being a stranger in a strange land um, that he experienced the other way around sort of plays into this movie as well as Aki tries to navigate this uh, confusing landscape of being in San Francisco. And then you also have the uh, aging sheriff who has sort of strange relationship with his daughter and uh once once the two of them get together aki sort of plays as a surrogate daughter for him and that's where the movie sort of really picks up speed and became more interesting and there's a lot of little touches to this movie that elevated over um some of the other movies i've seen this summer but it's a small film mm-hmm it's not a, again, it's like $500. Probably $500, won't be coming to theaters for anyone. You're going to have to watch this online. Yeah, and you can pick it up on iTunes or some of those other outlets that we talked about with the other movie. Um, you didn't like it too much, though? Uh, no, there are a lot Went of... into it? <laughs> this movie steals a lot from other more famous films, and I think it goes beyond homage. I think it steals so heavily, it can no longer be considered considered homage. Okay. Uh, unfortunately, if I give you the titles of some of these films, I'm going to ruin a lot of the twists and turns in this film. Okay. So I can save that for spoilers. All right. Fair enough. But this is a movie that is heavily, heavily influenced by um, former films and ideas for story points and even, even little character bits. Um, Aki is, you know, a uh, detective writer, and she's kind of like the Asian uh, Sherlock Holmes. And I was kind of surprised no one in the movie ever points that out to her. She tries to do this deductive reasoning. They call her the Asian J.D. Salinger at one point. Or not Asian, but the Japanese J.D. Salinger at one point. That's how she's sort of introduced. But she's doing this Sherlock Holmes bit stuff Mm -hmm. a lot throughout the film. Not a lot. A little bit. It plays into her character, though. That was something we'd have to save for spoilers, too. Well, she does it pretty early on in the film. She does. She tries it out. But fails. And... So, again, that's sort of some of the... I don't know how much she sailed on that. Well, I don't know. It's open to speculation, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about the, the dinner scene, right? The dinner party, it, Pretty yeah. early on, and she tries to deduce where this guy went to college and all this stuff. You think he's lying? I do think he's lying on some of this stuff. I don't think he wants to be shown up by a woman. That's how I read it. It's possible. He doesn't like that this Japanese woman is talking, and he is. he made some comments earlier on in the discussion that, you know, she thinks she understands Japanese culture and the way things go, even though you know, he thinks she's from San Francisco. And I, I think the Japanese culture is still very male-dominated, and that's how I read that scene. He does, he, he's trying to dominate her. Okay. So I, I, mean, I thought I see he was lying on some him. stuff. There's not enough, really, to justify that reading, other than you know, really subtle stuff. They never go back to it. We don't see his character again. No, he, he's there for the purpose of acting as a foil to Aki. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you think of Ayoko Fujitani, the girl that plays her? 
Like, what did you think of her performance? It, it was fine. Really? Yeah, it wasn't great. wasn't bad. I thought the acting was pretty good in this. Uh, I mean... It, it fits into my summer of the uh, heroine. <laughs> and, and this is... I have a heroin addiction this summer, I think. Uh, yeah, I, I liked her more than I liked the sheriff. Really? Mm-hmm. I, I didn't... I don't think... There, there are problems with the film. Mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong. The sheriff is... Uh, I think he has 147 acting credits on IMDb. He's been around for a while, but I don't know. I mean, you've seen all the movies he's been in. Yeah. I but mean, I don't know if you've ever like, recognized him. I mean, he's all right. He, he's not bad. He None was, of the acting was real bad. The the guy I liked best was the Kazuki Kitamura. The guy that plays Akira. Yeah, he's the, the man from Reno. He's in the movie Samurai Cat. <laughs> yeah, he was also in... It's um, about, a, about a cat. The Raid 2. He's been in a bunch of stuff. I, I like him. I thought he has a lot of natural charisma. Yeah, and they, they play with his, uh, his stereotypical good looks and maybe some of the, his associated characteristics from other movies. But I also felt like he was doing an impression of Steve McQueen throughout the whole film. Maybe, but it's hard to see that as an Asian, like a Japanese Steve McQueen. Yeah, but he, he was always trying to be busy. He was always trying to like do stuff with his fingers. He was mm-hmm. always trying to give you a reason to focus on him in the scenes. And I didn't mind that. I think I, I saw that as, him, as another element to him being not who he says he is. And he's trying to distract you. So, I don't know. Maybe that spoils some stuff. Maybe he's a little... Maybe he is who he says he is. Maybe he's not. I don't know. Well, it's going to be hard to avoid spoilers. Do we this. need to just jump into spoilers? Yeah, let's go ahead and jump into spoilers. Right. So. The man that hath no music in himself, nor is not moved with concord of sweet sounds, is fit for treasons, stratagems, and spoils. There, there were some convolutions in the plot that... Uh, by the by, your expression, you seem to think we're tedious. No, I mean, I. I but they're I I see them as necessary elements to this kind of movie. Yeah, and I, I think they tied up everything, and it probably makes logical sense for the most part. I mean, I'm sure there are holes you can poke at it, but I mean, for the most part, I understand why characters were doing what they were doing when they were doing it. Yeah, I mean that all that works. <laughs> I just. Uh, I, I didn't care at the end. I didn't care what the explanation was. Yeah, I, I can see kind of why you're saying that. I mean, the, it seems like a, a fireworks show leading up to the to the big uh, final grand finale of the fireworks, and then it's really just more of the same. Well, and, and again, the Kazuki Kitmora, I thought he was the best part of the movie. He was the best actor. He was the most interesting to watch. Well, he wins. Yeah, but he's barely he's in the film at the beginning, he's in the film at the end. I would have rather seen more of him. Um in yeah. a lot of ways he was he's he is the talented Mr. Ripley, if people have ever seen that Matt Damon film. I haven't, but you just spoiled it for me, so thanks. Well Well we are in the spoiler section. Yeah, but talent Mr. Ripley's about a guy who assumes other people's identities. I mean that's mm-hmm. that's the premise of the film. To me, his story is more interesting. It would have been more interesting to watch this story unfold through his eyes. The detectives, I didn't think it was too interesting watching them trying to figure this stuff out. It reminded me a lot of No Country for Old Men. I saw some of that. I didn't see as much of it as as maybe they were going for. Mm-hmm. I saw Chinatown in it. I okay, saw, I can see that. Um, I saw the, the procedural parts of it became sort of tedious. However, it was original in that it 
dealt with the dual languages. Some of the, like, the MacGuffin of the film. Um, the turtles? Yeah. That sort of came out of the blue. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of, like, small details, like the head of lettuce, which they mentioned as a, uh, it, there's, there's a translation difficulty that surrounds this lettuce, mm-hmm. which it just comes out of nowhere. And it's intriguing enough, but that is in the middle of the movie where to where you're like, oh, that's neat and new. Mm-hmm. The fact that uh, Aki gets shot and dies, I mean, that's sort of original in yeah. this kind of movie. Yeah, I just didn't. Uh, th- that was one of the parts I had problems with. I, I don't understand why the killer heads come back and kill her. Yeah, I mean, that, that's, that and, might be And one then of the it turns holes. him into this like needless psychopath. And... But he planned to kill her. He planned to dispense of her. Well, why? That 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 was. If there's any hole in the story, why he has to come back and kill her? I think to be effective as the kind of person that you are, you to be a chameleon like that and to live that sort of life, you have to be willing to kill everybody. Yeah, but, but you, you also have, have to, to know when well. to cut and run. And he other times he that. seems to be able to cut and run a lot better. He assumes the photographer's role. And when the sheriff finds him there, the movie ends with him getting ready to assume another identity. Right. I don't know why he was still messing with um, her. You know, uh, I don't with know a key. He messed with her as much as just shot her, put her on the plastic and shot her, and then yeah, that just seemed too elaborate. It was so, like a Dexter type thing. It was a pretty good shot though of, and maybe I'm misreading it. Maybe he wasn't pre- preparing to kill her. Why was but he she there? Just sort of concerned. Think to he, get the turtles. I think he came back to and he had this weird plastic suitcase. kill the original, the running man, because I think he said something like... I thought he already like, killed him because he was in the pond early, or in the lake. There was something he looked, he killed someone else, I thought. Maybe I'm confusing it, but I thought he looked at the uh, briefcase to see whether or not she would fit in it. And there's a shot of him looking over the briefcase before he kills her. But then when they when he does kill her, her sort of acceptance of it is unique. In original, in terms of just, I think that she, it was again dream fulfillment for her. It's something that she wanted all along, anyway. And for him to be able to provide that for her was—he's doing him a solid. She's doing, the guy's doing her a solid, <laughs> offing her. She had these. Uh, yeah. She has a deep secret, though. She didn't write those books. Yeah, but all of her friends know this. Only one guy. Nobody else knows it except for the one guy. Who well, I, she the, thinks she has all these secrets and that she's fooled all of her friends, but then they come out at various points and say, oh yeah, I knew. Just the one guy. Her other friends don't know. No, I thought one of the other friends, because at the dinner party, it, uh, one of her friends says, oh, he always fed you information about the people's backgrounds so that you could deduce. No, that wasn't at the dinner party, and that was her friend in the in the kitchen. Her, the one guy, the one weird guy that takes the mm-hmm. um, the... He takes the turtles away. Mm-hmm. He's the one that says, oh, yeah, he was feeding you that. I knew that. Okay, I thought it was the other guy. Mm-hmm. And, no, nobody else knew it. Her publisher didn't know it. And she had I, no more books left, so she couldn't write anymore because they were all his books. And when he died, I think he probably killed himself, her boyfriend. Mm-hmm. Once he kills himself, she can't, I mean, she tries to write her own book later, Melondrop, mm-hmm. which is, again, a, sort of like a tale of subterfuge. So I, I don't know. I, I, her secret was going to come out, and she was going to be ruined anyway. So the fact that she gets killed How is it? It, she because she can't writing. write any more books. She just uh, says, well, I don't yeah. want to write anymore. 
And it's you just hard start to, having people ghostwrite it. Kind of hard to live a life with. That's what Tom Clancy started doing, or Clive Cussler. You kept you get these Tom books. Clancy and Clive Cussler grew up in a very different um, culture. culture. Like the Japanese culture would not. I, I think that she's so ingrained in that culture that she would feel too much shame, and I think she feels shame now. And that's yeah. why she's acting the way she's acting. That's why when the guy offs her, she's like, all right, just leans back and takes it. I don't know. She she seems to be dealing with this problem of authorship pretty late in the game. Because her husband or boyfriend just killed himself. When she's at the book signing? Is that what Or just before that, yeah. Like before the publication of the last book, he's either killed himself or suffered some. Okay, I mean, it felt like he had been dead for a good six months at least. All right, well, how long does it take to write a book? I don't think she had any more books left that he wrote. Yeah, but it's like all of a sudden she goes, oh, what am I going to do? In the middle of this book signing tour, she all of a sudden has this epiphany. Oh, there are no more books. I'm screwed. Right. To me, it should have been obvious to her for quite a while. Yeah, but when you're pushing through and you have to, I mean, she's being compelled to do this by her publisher. They're, it's a very uh, accepting culture. Mm-hmm. And I like the way that they put, they portrayed that visually. Like, you understood her whole, what was going on with her. Maybe not all the machinations of it, but you understood what she was going through visually. Okay. They conveyed that visually. Was she really that successful of an author? I think there were pretty popular books. Yeah. Well, how many books would you say that there were? A dozen she had written? I don't know. I was thinking five or six. So maybe more, maybe less. There was only one English um, translated yeah. version. Okay. I was figuring there were 10 to 12. Maybe more. Towards know. the end of the film, when she's gone missing, or they look in the book jacket and said she sold over a million books worldwide. And I thought, well, you divide that by 10 or 12. Is that really that great? Yeah, I think so. If you, uh, yeah. like, how many books do you have to sell to be like ten thousand? If you sell ten thousand, yeah. you're doing real well as an author. I think on the if you're on the bestseller list, like, um, is it Patricia Clark? Mm-hmm. Is consistently on there with those like romance novels? So you need to do ten thousand. Ten thousands. I think so. I think it's pretty low, at like forty thousand maybe, mm-hmm. but I, I think it's relatively low. And if you sell a million, if you're like selling that's books, totally. a lot different selling yeah. albums. Yeah, yeah, you're a successful writer. Okay. If, you, if you can sell ten thousand books, I think you're a successful writer, and you'll earn a spot on the New York Times bestseller list. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I think it's a pretty low number. I might be wrong. Uh, I, I, I have no idea. That, that was just something at the end. I thought a million. All this. She's been published in various languages. It just it it didn't seem that impressive to me. Hmm. I mean, it's better than I've ever done, and probably will ever do. But right. Yeah, a million's a lot, I think. I enjoyed it. It's it's in the upper half of movies that I've seen this year. I feel like I'm having to defend these movies a lot more than than I want so, to. So, but if I gave it a grade, I would say 83. You put this below Kamiko. No, I put Kamiko below this. Kamiko's a 74. Oh, okay. Kamiko's probably a 74. Yeah. Oh, because you were your praise seemed much higher than a C grade. I give it. Five points extra credit. <laughs> I mean, if you're telling me you give so, Kamiko a C, uh, so it's I maybe mean, I, a seventy-four. It's seven, working. Hard. I would give it a C for the effort. I don't, I don't grade effort. Wow. I only grade the product. Seventy-four. Well, this it, is to me. It, it seemed like you were giving it a D minus. No, I mean, it I mean, tries the, hard. Doesn't. It's, I wish that the viewers could see the looks on your faces. <laughs> the C is perfectly films. average, and you weren't talking about this film as an average film. I haven't seen very many good films this year. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, no, I'll, I'll agree with you. My my top ten list is looking thin at this point in the year, but this fall there seem to be a ton of films that I'm, I'm looking forward to. I, I just don't know if we'll be able to see them all. I will, and then we'll have the. I'm going. Yeah, but the movie like Hateful Eight, if it shows up in DC, you might make the road trip. If it doesn't, are you going to go to Boston or New York City to watch no, the, so mean, that they can get it in just under the gun so it can be considered for award nominations? Like The Revenant. Who even knows if that will come out? They're going to release I, I, it in one city just so that it can be up for awards. That could be annoying. That happened to us I, I with, think we um, have to count movies that we watch in January towards um, the previous year's total. If, if they were released... In 2015. But we see them in January of 2016 because that's the first time they're around here. Okay. We can count those. Especially if they're the awards consideration films. All right. Going backwards then, Kamiko, that came out in 2014. Yeah, but I don't think it played. I don't guess that's eligible for your list then. No, because when we went and saw Lawrence of Arabia, it was playing in the same theater. Oh, it wasn't? Yeah. Okay. So I think it came out in like Japan in 2014, but it didn't make it across the ocean until 2015. But it was up for awards consideration last yeah. year. But it was, right. you know, probably also doing those film festivals. That's the other problem with these art house films. They'll play in film festivals for six to eight months before the, yeah. we can get a hold of them. Yeah, I've actually been looking for Man Farina for a long time, and I wasn't able to find it streaming. And then I saw it on DirecTV, and I was like, oh, wow. Yeah, I heard about it on someone. Someone had it as their number one movie of the year on one of these, a uh, half year. Number one movie of the half year. Maybe it was on Film Spot. They record that episode on January 3rd. <laughs> I don't know. No, I think he saw it at probably Sundance or South by Southwest whenever uh, it came out. It's an interesting film. And I can see where some people would like it more than I did. I, I say it's an 83, like I said. 74 it, to 77. It'd be an interesting time. double feature if you paired it with like No Country for Old Men or now Talented the, Mr. Ripley or something. The question also is, does it, like if you're grading it with a rubric, how well does it work? Because if you take a movie like Kamiko and you'd have to decide on the rubric in advance and then check off the boxes, how does it work? Then it might be an A. It might be a 94 or something because it's hitting all those art house conventions or whatever. Mm-hmm. Or if you're reading it as a tale of depression, like an allegory for depression, then it's going to hit on all those elements. If you had a detective story rubric for this movie, it could be an A. If you tried to use the same rubric for both movies, you wouldn't find the same. Um, they would not meet with the same level of success. So applying the same rubric just in terms of overall aesthetic value, 83 for Man from Reno, 70. Four or five for uh, yeah, no, Kamiko. Reno has character development, character arcs. It has a plot. And I'm saying you don't necessarily need all those things. Okay. Like Pulp Fiction. Yeah, I, yeah. I think that's like saying a joke doesn't need a punchline. No. Yeah. yeah I mean, uh, there are other movies out there that don't that operate just on terms of visuals that don't necessarily need a plot. Just on visuals? Yeah, but then most, they have character. Don't. No, I mean, this movie definitely has character, and it has a character. Like, you can't say that There Will Be Blood is a plot-driven movie. No, but it's a character study, and there is an arc to that character. At the end of that movie, I, know, I, I would defend the point done. that you don't necessarily have to have an arc to the character in order for it to be... I mean, again, you're applying the, the same rubric to two different movies. Yeah, but There Will Be Blood has a dynamic character. And it is interesting to see him fight his way through the world. Can't get much more dynamic than death. <laughs> Just saying. Yeah. No, right. I would. I, there will be blood is one of the best movies in, of this century. 
Yeah, it's in my top ten. It's probably my all-time top ten. Right now, um, Kamiko and Manfredino are tied for tenth place, I think. I don't know. I haven't even looked at my list yet, but I haven't seen very many great movies. So. But I, I think of the two, I guess you're recommending uh, Manfredino if anybody wants to go see any kind of movie. Yep. Um, I'm glad that I saw both of them. I'm glad that we had this opportunity to discuss them. I'm so, glad that I've now watched 101 movies this year. I got you beat, Mr. Two Frames. Yeah. I might be up to 147 or something. Wow, you are... Or that's also Pepe Cerno's IMDb. Uh, yeah, if you're at 147, you are there. flying this year. I watched Squid Man <laughs> last night. <laughs> no, my problem is this summer I've been watching a lot of TV, getting caught up on stuff. I got TV on my list, too. So. Yeah. Box office challenge numbers. I'm 25 million down. 28. <sighs> but I picked Man from Compton, right? Or straight yeah. out of Compton? Man from Compton. Yeah, straight out of Compton. Doing amazing numbers for an R rated film. 60 million. Yeah, 60 million. I mean, that's, that is incredibly strong. You really should have a pretty limited audience for an R rated movie. I guess I'm going to lose, though. I'll lose the box office. I only have that one movie coming out this week. Sinister 2. Yeah. And that's not the movie we're going to talk about. We talk about anything next week. No, I don't think we've decided what we're doing for the next show. You are probably going to go see Hitman or something? If I go to the theaters, it would be to see Hitman. Um, I am traveling, and occasionally I have to kill time. So if I go to the theaters, it would be to see Hitman. You can always download Kamiko onto your laptop and watch that again and again and again. Bad film. (sighs) All right. Um, thank you for the conversation there. No, I, I enjoyed it. I, I, I'm hoping that when I watch your third recommended slow film, I can enjoy it. No, Slow West is nothing like these. No, Slow West is definitely, you'll like it more. It has all the things that you complained weren't in these other movies are in Slow West. Okay. So yeah. you need I, to I, watch I trust you. I'm just, yeah. You need to watch 500 Words or Less. You need to watch Slow, slow West and Dalton agrees. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, in the immortal words of Marge Gunderson say Lou did you hear the one about the guy who couldn't afford personalized license plates so he went ahead and changed his name to J3L2404 huh. <laughs> for Mr. Uh, two Frames over there it's been a pleasure and for our musical coordinator Elijah Steele I'm the L train. Pox at Bonham, everybody. There be dragons. I realize that my life is uh, essentially doing a whole bunch of stuff that I don't necessarily mind doing. <coughs> it's like, It's like I don't necessarily hate doing it but i also don't really like doing whatever it is that i have to do like the show notes is that what you're talking about no I, <laughs> i'm just talking about like in general just my general life is go- my general uh experience of my own personal existence is kind of doing doing some stuff that i kind of don't mind doing <laughs> you know how people like ask you to do stuff they say would you mind doing blah 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 I'm, no not really i'll do it but I don't necessarily choose to do it. It's like the forces that compel me forward are mm-hmm. are asking me if I mind. So I'm like, no, it's all right. I'll do it.
I don't understand what that has to do with the podcast. I don't know. Just, you don't want to do the podcast? No, I don't mind. 